Now, though, we're going to be talking insomnia. Because, um, of course, sleep is one of life's essentials. We spend about a third of our time doing it. Except, of course, for about the 30 to 40% of us who have insomnia. Now, we all lose the odd night here or there, but one in five are dealing with this long term or chronically. And so what to turn to if you can't get some shut eye, of course, the sleeping pills, white noise, um, even the social media favourite of cherry juice and magnesium, a.k.a. the sleepy girl mocktail. What about counting sheep? Well, Dr Alexander Sweetman is a research fellow at the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health at Flinders University, and he's a leading figure in the field of treating people for insomnia and sleep apnea without using drugs. So what are some of his ideas to help sleep come easily? For people that start to experience sleep problems more and more frequently or for a longer duration, um, one of the really obvious things that a lot of people do to try and sleep better is to start going to bed earlier in the evening and maybe sleeping in later into the morning as well. So effectively spending more time in bed to try and increase their opportunity to sleep as much as they possibly can. Um, So even if their body only needs, you know, seven and a half to eight hours of sleep per night, they might be spending nine or ten hours in bed just in the hopes of getting as much sleep as they possibly can or catching up on sleep from night to night. Um, But we know that what this actually does, instead of increasing the amount of sleep that we get, spending more time in bed is more likely to lead to more time spent awake in bed. So going to bed early before we start to really feel sleepy can result in a long time spent awake trying to fall asleep. Or if we wake up during the night, it it can lead to more time spent awake in bed trying to get back to sleep. So does that mean that whole idea of going to bed early, getting an early night to, if you've had a bad night's sleep the night before perhaps, or if you are feeling tired, doesn't always work? Our sleep really loves regularity. So getting into bed at a relatively consistent time each night and also getting out of bed at a relatively consistent time each morning. And the caveat there is that if someone, if you're not feeling sleepy, Um, That's different from feeling exhausted or fatigued. So sleepiness refers to that feeling that if you put your head down on the pillow that you could easily fall asleep. If you're not feeling that level of sleepiness in the evening, sometimes it can be better to delay getting into bed until slightly later, and that will increase our chances of actually falling asleep quicker by the time we do get into bed. I suppose... This sort of area is where people often talk to about sleep hygiene, you know, no phones, no screens, um, that you should think about um, exactly what you're doing in bed, so not, you know, working or thinking. How helpful is something like that? Yeah, sleep hygiene recommendations or just generally good sleep habits um, can be helpful for a lot of people in the population, and we think that they might be helpful in preventing the development of chronic insomnia. But when we work with patients who have had insomnia symptoms for a long time, so for several months or several years, um, really often people already have really, really good sleep habits. Um, So they've already looked at lots of information online and talked to lots of friends and maybe other health clinicians and have received this sort of advice about Maintaining, maintaining a comfortable bedroom environment, um, good temperature, reducing light, reducing mobile phone use in bed and so on. 
Um, but despite all of this, the insomnia still persists. So what that means is that someone with chronic or long-term insomnia, um, just using that sleep hygiene advice might be helpful, but it's not actually enough by itself to treat the insomnia. I was interested too to read that relaxation strategies can sometimes work out to be counterproductive. Talk me through that. Yeah, so this was a recent meta-analysis that was published in a sleep journal where they looked at lots and lots of different treatment components um, for insomnia, and they reported on some of the really effective ones. What they didn't find as much evidence for was relaxation strategies. Um, so this can, there's lots and lots of different evidence-based relaxation strategies, like different um, breathing routines, or one called progressive muscle relaxation, where patients are taught to gradually tense and then relax different muscle groups throughout the body. These relaxation therapies are generally quite good at reducing levels of physical arousal or alertness and also um, cognitive or psychological arousal. And they can also be a good distraction tool if people are um, getting quite wound up about the activities or anything due or things to do the next day, or also people that are getting quite wound up about the impacts of sleep loss and how they'll possibly cope the next day. So these relaxation strategies can be quite helpful. In, in some people, I think it can be much more helpful to practice these relaxation techniques before getting into bed rather than while they're awake in bed. And again, that's just to reduce the amount of time that we spend in bed awake and also reduce all of that effort trying to fall asleep while we're in bed. We're sometimes, I guess, our own worst enemies with sleep when it comes to perhaps some of the things we eat um, or indeed drink. You know, alcohol might help you get to sleep, but it doesn't really, for example, give you necessarily a particularly restful one. Yeah, that's right. So that's quite a common one, using alcohol as a sleep aid. Like you say, it can be sedating and help us initially fall asleep quicker, but it's a direct and will probably cause a more fragmented sleep, so more awakenings throughout the night and probably more awakenings to use the toilet throughout the night as well. So it's not recommended as a sleep aid. What about things like eating cheese? That was always a bit of a... I don't know if it is an old wives' tale, but that sort of idea that you shouldn't eat cheese before bed or what about something like sugar, which I guess people might think of as being a bit more stimulating? Yeah, generally to avoid stimulating foods um, like sugar, there's lots of individual variability, I think. So one of the more general recommendations is to avoid large meals immediately before bed because our body will be working and active to digest food. So to have the main evening meal, you know, at least three hours if possible before bed is ideal. Interesting you mentioned wives' tales. Yes, there's lots and lots of old wives' tales and hints and tips and recommendations floating around online. And every two weeks there's a new TikTok trend or trend on Instagram and a hack that will make you sleep better. The interesting thing about insomnia is because it's so dependent on those underlying psychological and behavioural causes, it sort of means that lots and lots of different therapy techniques or recommendations work for a short period of time, and that's partly because they build an expectation 
in the patient that it will work. So there's strong placebo or demand effects that something's going to work, and that might improve sleep for a short time. Um, but we think that if those underlying psychological and behavioural factors are still present, that insomnia really often re-emerges over time. So after you know one to two weeks of eating a different food or using a different breathing technique or eye mask or so on, the insomnia gradually re-emerges over time. It comes back to those psychological and behavioural underlying factors. Speaking of things uh, on the internet or on social media, the Sleepy Girl Mocktail, I suppose it's still yeah. cherry season as well, isn't it? Um, which is a, a drink that was being hyped on things like TikTok and maybe Instagram a bit. It's cherry juice and magnesium and soda. I mean, it sounds great, but it's too good to be true, I should imagine, <laughs> yeah. from what you've just said. Yeah, it's it does sound delicious. It's Probably not a cure-all for chronic insomnia, though. The the most effective treatment that we have for long-term insomnia and the treatment that's recommended in lots and lots of evidence-based guidelines from sleep, uh, primary care and medical associations all over the world is called Cognitive Behavioural Therapy for Insomnia, or CBT, with a little I at the end. There's CBT for lots of different disorders and problems. There's CBT for depression, CBT for anxiety. There's also one specific for insomnia called CBT with a little I on the end. Um, So this is the main treatment that we know of that aims to identify and gradually target and treat all of the underlying psychological and behavioural factors that cause long-term insomnia. It's not got a very catchy name, though. Sleepy Girl Mocktail's definitely better. We need a better name. Maybe yeah. you, can, you can put that out to your listeners maybe to come up with a better name for cognitive behaviour therapy for insomnia. I completely agree. We need, a, we need a more exciting, sexy name for it. 2101 to get in touch with us here in the studio if you've got a better name for CBTI. Tell us about this, though, because how does it work? You know, what do you do if you're going through CBTI? Yeah, sure. So it's a multi-component treatment, which just means there's several different therapies or several different components included in this CBTI package. Um, It's also often delivered over about four to eight weekly sessions or fortnightly sessions. So it's delivered over quite a medium to long period of time, but that's so the therapies can gradually start improving sleep and how people feel during the day. It also is important to deliver over a reasonable span of time because we want treatment to last for a long period into the future as well. We don't want a quick fix that only lasts for a short time. We want to provide treatment that provides benefit and therapeutic effect for months and years and years into the future. Um, So some of the specific therapies included in CBTI, um, one is providing some factual and evidence-based information about insomnia and sleep. Um, So there's a lot of inaccurate information online. Um, It can really help to provide people with some of the evidence-based information that can start to help reduce anxiety about sleep and start to normalise some of the things that they're experiencing. Another really effective treatment, so I I mentioned before, insomnia is often associated with extending time in bed and leading to more time awake in bed. Um, One of the most effective treatments for insomnia, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, 
But actually reducing the amount of time we spend in bed can be one of the most helpful things that we do. Um, we can do this in a really structured way with something called bedtime restriction therapy. It aims to temporarily reduce the amount of time that we spend in bed over, over several nights and weeks. Um, gradually, this leads to less and less time spent awake in bed. It might initially make us feel sleepier in the late afternoon and evening, but that will help us fall asleep quicker and return to sleep quicker if we wake up during the night. And really importantly, reducing time awake in bed helps the brain and body to relearn that the bed is a place for sleep rather than a place for feeling awake, alert, anxious, annoyed, worried, and so on. So to really relearn that association between being in bed and being asleep. I'm interested in that cycle of anxiety that people can get into with sleep, and it can become really fraught. What are some of the best techniques to help to break that as an impediment? Yeah, so it would probably be tailored to each person, the types of beliefs that they have and the different reasons underlying that anxiety. If the anxiety is related to sleep itself and the potential impacts of not getting enough sleep or not performing well during the day and so on, um, different therapists can work with patients to start testing whether those beliefs are realistic and maybe replacing them with more realistic beliefs if that's the case. And sometimes the anxiety might be caused by non-sleep-related factors and factors outside of our control. It really needs to be tailored to each person. Um, but some of the things that can be helpful are writing down a worry list or scheduling some worry time during the day. So not while in bed, but out of bed and earlier during the day. Set aside 15 minutes to write down some of the things that concern you. And maybe some action items or ways to um, manage those. If they creep into your mind again during, um, during the night, you can remind yourself, no, you've written those down and there's a list waiting for you to get to tomorrow. So it's not going to help mulling them over or ruminating about them while in bed. And another one, I think relaxation exercises out of bed and earlier in the evening can help to calm a busy mind. But yeah, maybe not while in bed trying to do those relaxation exercises. Can things like uh, apps that are around for white noise or for special kind of, there are lots of actual, you know, sleep apps to help uh, with sort of soundscapes to help put you to sleep and then to monitor your sleep while you're um, in bed. Do those sorts of things have any kind of proven track record? Yeah, the proven track record bit is the really important bit. So there's thousands of different apps online that claim to improve sleep, but the vast majority of them don't have any scientific support. So that's what you're looking for, the ones with evidence behind them, or at least apps that are based on cognitive and behavioural principles for insomnia if there's limited evidence. So the different white noise, pink noise, brown noise, I think that refers to different frequencies, so sound frequencies. Um, might be a good distraction technique in some people, and if they work for you, that's brilliant. They probably don't target the underlying psychological and behavioural causes of insomnia, so for a lot of people, they probably won't work. But other apps, and some that are available in New Zealand, have a managing insomnia course um, that's based off 
cognitive and behavioural therapy for insomnia principles, and it looks to be completely free. So that's one of the online resources that I would recommend to any of your listeners. That's really useful to know, because when you're talking about CBTI and the sort of underpinning uh, psychological and behavioural issues that people might be dealing with, I guess the other side of that is if you are wanting to seek help, it can be really tricky accessing the right person or finding a sleep specialist. And, you know, especially in a country like New Zealand, where so many parts of the country are quite rural and quite remote, that in itself is a mm. challenge. Yeah, it's echoed in Australia as well. And it's actually the same story throughout the world. We have this really, really effective treatment in CBTI. Um, it's been studied in hundreds and hundreds of scientific studies but there's really, really poor access to CBTI in most countries throughout the world. There might be clinicians that are able to treat insomnia and deliver CBTI via telehealth appointments, so via Zoom or um, Teams or other online video call type services. And also the um, Just a Thought online application that I mentioned in Australia, we have a shortage of psychologists that are trained to deliver CBTI, so that's something that we're really working on. We've developed an education program for psychologists that is a six-hour education program, includes a manualised CBTI program that psychologists can start delivering to their patients. Um, this education program is also available to psychologists in New Zealand, so any psychologists with an interest in upskilling and insomnia and the delivery of CBTI, um, yeah, please do get in contact with me and I can direct you to this education program. That sounds really helpful because, you know, clearly a lot of people do have uh, all manner of problems with insomnia and often one of the fixes, uh, I guess a, a, a relatively quick fix, is something like sleeping pills. Um, to talk about those for a little bit, What's your view on them and also on things like melatonin? Yeah, sure. So um, generally, the evidence-based guidelines don't recommend sleeping pills as the first treatment option that patients with insomnia should receive because they are associated with some side effects and risk of dependence. That varies from medication to medication, um, but generally benzodiazepines um, like temazepam, Z drugs like zolpidem, zopaclone, and some other medicines used for sleep um, can be associated with side effects like next day sedation, sleepiness, um, increased risk of falls, um, motor vehicle accidents, and some concentration difficulties, and then risk of dependence as well, where over longer periods of time, the therapeutic benefit that was originally provided from those sleeping pills gradually reduces and patterns of dependence start to form where if people don't use the sleeping pills, they can experience worse insomnia symptoms and then they become more dependent over time. So for that reason, the guidelines generally recommend that they're not used as the first-line treatment. However, the caveat, I think a really important caveat, is that um, CBTI does not provide immediate improvement or benefit to sleep. CBTI leads to gradual but sustained and longer-term improvement. So in some patients that have really severe insomnia symptoms or insomnia symptoms that are causing 
really bad distress or um, daytime impairments and they're at a, during a busy period in life or work where they really need to sleep well and concentrate, a short course of sleeping pills might be indicated, so anywhere from about two to less than four weeks. If sleeping pills are initiated, it's probably a very good idea to look at supplementing with CBTI strategies over the longer term to avoid those patterns of dependence and side effects. And does melatonin fall into the same category as the benzos and the... Oh, sorry, yes. (laughs) Melatonin, a natural hormone produced in the body. Um, The timing is dictated by the body clock and the light and dark cycle. Um, Supplemental melatonin or using melatonin tablets or pills to help us sleep, it's really good at shifting the timing of our body clock um, so if we delay, have a delayed pattern where we um, can't fall asleep until late, late in the night, like after midnight, and we often sleep in until late in the next morning, you know, don't get out of bed until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, um, melatonin and administered at certain times can help to gradually change the timing of our body clock. Um, so it's really good at changing the timing of our sleep and wake pattern but it's less effective as a treatment for insomnia. So I was looking at some of the research just last week, actually. Lots of the different clinical trials looking at the effect of melatonin on insomnia. Um, most, most of the clinical trials have really, really small sample sizes. I think there was only one or two studies with larger sample sizes. And the effect on insomnia and our sleep is actually quite small for Uh, melatonin, especially when you compare it head-to-head with something like CBTI that has this really large and sustained effect on our sleep. When is too late to take a sleeping pill as well, actually? It's a question from a listener that um, I guess sometimes you'll get ahead of the game and you'll, you'll take a sleeping pill before you go to bed. But what about if you wake up in the middle of the night? How late is too late? Yeah, good question. I would take that to the prescribing physician, that question, because it would really depend on what the sleeping pill is, what that person's um, daytime obligations and activities are the next day and how desperate and how much they need sleep. My, My reluctance to give a blanket response there is because different sleeping pills have different side effects and also different half-lives or um, the duration of effect or how long those drugs are present in our system. And some drugs have effects that persist well into the next day and some drugs are much shorter acting or short term. For the drugs that persist well into the next day, it would um, probably not be a great idea to take it late in the evening. Yeah, but a much better question for the prescribing doctor. Mm. I wonder about things like cannabinoids as well. And whether that is part of, uh, I guess, the future when it comes to look at medication and the sort of role that it plays here. Yeah, good question. And science is just catching up to this. So anecdotally, there's a lot of people that use different cannabinoids for sleep or to help with sleep. Regarding the research, there's three uh, large clinical trials that I'm aware of looking at the effect of different cannabinoids on insomnia and only one of those three clinical trials reported improvements 
or statistically significant, this is very scientific jargon, reported large and meaningful improvements in insomnia symptoms. And it sort of falls into the same thing that I was saying about melatonin and other drugs um, in that they might produce short-term improvements. Um, Most of the improvements will be of a limited or small effect size. And when you compare it to CBTI, the effects, the clinical effectiveness and long-term effectiveness of CBTI is so much larger than pretty much any medication you can test for insomnia. How do you sleep? Do you practice what you preach? (laughs) My, My sleep went to junk over the Christmas period but that was completely self-inflicted, staying up late and watching movies and having uh, no set time of waking up the next morning. Um, But now it's back in check. I've got a wonderful sleep rhythm. How do you get up at the same time every day or do you just get up at a reasonably latish time every day? Um, Yeah, it's different for every person and what your sort of work obligations are and also what your body clock, the timing of your body clock. Mm. Um, personally, about 6.30, 7 o'clock, everyone's different. Um, interestingly, during that one of those treatments that I talked about, bedtime restriction therapy, um, so that's when a therapist or a program or psychologist will recommend temporarily reducing time spent in bed to start treating the insomnia. Sometimes it can be better to anchor that new bedtime window later in the night, so to stay up later maybe 12 o'clock or just after 12 o'clock and wake up at about the same time. And we think that's because it's easier to stay up later at night during treatment than it is to get out of bed really early in the morning at sort of 3 or 4 a.m. It can be very hard to get motivated to get out of bed at that time. How do you deal with shift work, especially if it's the kind of shift work that, you know, some days you're on early, some days you're on late, other days you're on overnights? How is there a way of dealing with your body when work mm-hmm. necessitates that you get up at different times of day? Yeah, awesome question. Shift work and insomnia is almost the Achilles heel of behavioural insomnia research and where CBTI stops being as effective, especially that rotating shift schedule that you've just described. It can be really hard to use and apply CBTI techniques because we're constantly trying to catch up with someone's body clock or the body clock and available time for the sleep window is uh, moving from day to day. So, so we can't recommend a really regular sleep and wake pattern during treatment. So it can be very difficult to treat insomnia in people that are shift workers, especially rotating shifts like that. And really a tailored, highly tailored treatment approach from a specialist sleep physician or specialist sleep psychologist would be recommended in that instance. And that is Dr. Alexander Sweetman there, who is a research fellow at the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health at Flinders University. Uh, with some ideas about how to combat and deal with insomnia, especially without drugs, which is a pretty exciting thing.